Don't know if you had a chance to uh, pipe in and, and catch uh, the evening sessions, but my goodness, Troy was uh, lit, as if I could use that word. Uh, he was uh, ready to go, and, and that was invaluable, uh, what God gave him. And so I would encourage you to, to, to listen to that. But, but through the evening and the morning sessions and, and, and having a number of discussions about discipleship with pastors and leaders and, and, and just people in general, um, I really was, um, it, it, I was put in remembrance, if I could put it that way, of the urgency before us to be fruitful before the Lord, to not be a barren people, to redeem the time and and to be about the business of our Father. Our work is urgent. The time is very, very short. And so we must be about the business of making disciples all the time. We have to be unrelenting. We really, really do. We, we have to press to get this work done. If I can take you back to what Brandon Briscoe said in January of this year, and, and the Lord just brought me back to this on, on Friday morning. But Brandon said, we can't go another year being barren. If you remember, Brandon said that on a Tuesday night. And uh, that, that has been resonating with me uh, since then. And, and God just reminded me at the conference of how critical that is. And so we're going to resume Second Samuel chapter 5 next week. But as we near the end of the first quarter of this year, um, I believe it would be really good for us to take some time this morning to consider the issue of bearing fruit. I really want to challenge you. I want to trust the Lord to challenge us this morning to think on this and to do some self-examining, if you would. Um, from Second Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at the realities of the fruit of both adding and subtracting. That's what we're going to see today. Hopefully we'll see it very, very clearly, and that we'll be moved to respond correctly. Second Peter chapter 1, and beginning in verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Now, out of the gate, would you notice just um, the, it, how emphatic Peter is about this? Giving all diligence. Giving all diligence. All diligence, it means eagerness, earnestness. Like everything you got. Be all about this. Be very deliberate in adding these things to your faith. Add is the opposite of subtract. We don't want to go backwards. We don't want to be barren. We we don't want to be wasteful. No, we, we want to, with all diligence, we want to add to our faith. We don't want to waste our faith. We don't want to subtract from our faith. We want to build on it. We want to grow it. Faith has been correctly described as it's like a muscle. 
You don't get more muscle. What you do, though, is you have the opportunity to grow, build, and strengthen the muscle that you have. And so when you talk about adding to your faith, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about strengthening your faith. Well, to strengthen your faith, these are seven things that the Word of God says that we must add if we're going to do that. But here's what we see out of the gate very clearly, is that a disciple indeed is consistently growing spiritually. Uh, disciples indeed are, they're, they're not going backwards. They have moments, yes, because they're not perfect. But when you look at their life, the pattern, the testimony is one of continual growth. They don't allow themselves to get stagnant. They don't allow themselves to, to become lukewarm. They're adding, they're growing their faith with eagerness they are adding spiritually. They're not subtracting. You never see them stalled or you never see them going backward. Their testimony is consistently they're moving forward. And there are seven things that they're adding. Virtue. This is manliness or spiritual valor or strength of character. Knowledge. This is acquired information about God's word, temperance, self-discipline, patience, cheerful or hopeful endurance, constancy, godliness. This is genuine godly character, brotherly kindness, fraternal affection, brotherly love, charity, agape love. The evidence of these things in the life of a believer sets them apart as a disciple indeed, a true disciple. Sets them apart very clearly. If we are not adding these things to our faith, then we are subtracting from our faith, which means we're not growing spiritually. Someone can attend church regularly. They can be very active in ministry. They can tithe faithfully. And yet, actively subtract from their faith. Those things can give the appearance that someone is adding to their faith, but none of those things alone guarantee that someone is adding to their faith. Now, both adding to our faith and subtracting from it produce fruit. And this is what we need to see today, very, very clearly. Whether you're adding or subtracting, something is being produced in both of those. Let's look at verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So let's talk about the fruit of adding. Let's, let's look at this. The emphasis on adding is stated very clearly in verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound. And abound. If these seven things are in you, they're not in you by accident. No, they're in you, they're in me, because they have been deliberately added by us. 
We have deliberately, and we are deliberately, adding these things to our faith. And it's not just that you are adding, or that you have added these things, is that you keep adding them. Notice, for if these things be in you and abound, if they are, if these things are bounding, that means that there's a continuation of adding, right? They're increasing. You're, you're consistently adding these things, which facilitates growth. And this speaks to how deliberate spiritual growth is. I think sometimes when, when people think about spiritual growth, they unknowingly, it's like a fantasy, right? Where they're just going to wake up one day and the stars and everything in life is going to be perfectly aligned for growth. And they're going to go from where they were the day before to this morning just because of some random set of whatever fell into place. Now they have the maturity of the Apostle Paul. That's like saying, well, well, congratulations, you're going to have a child, and praise the Lord for that. But for that child to grow, children have to be deliberately fed. Amen. Right? It's not like they just wake up, and a bottle just magically appears, and here it is, and it just, wow, I just eat. No, no, it's very deliberate. And spiritual growth is exactly like that. We have to be deliberate in the choices that we make that produce growth. But the fruit of adding is easily identified in verse 8. It says, Neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. With respect to our discussion this morning, there are two words that I really want us to see here. Number one is barren. And this word means inactive or unemployed. It's translated six times in our New Testament as idle. So that gives you some perspective on what we're talking about here when we talk about barren. And then unfruitful, it just simply means without fruit. It's no fruit. So the fruit of adding to our faith is fruitfulness. (laughs) If we're adding to our faith, it means that we're not barren and unfruitful. If we're adding to our faith, it means that we are, to the glory of God, we're fruitful. Which ought to be your heartbeat and mine, and hopefully we can really qualify that, because the reason that this should be of not just interest to you as a believer, but the reason that this needs to be of absolute utmost importance to you is because fruitfulness is of great importance to the Lord. Fruitfulness is of great importance to the Lord. And we'll qualify that beginning in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. 
A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. In these verses, the word fruit is used seven times. This is absolutely of interest to the Lord. This issue of fruit, grapes do not come from thorns, and figs do not come from thistles. It doesn't, uh, thorns and thistles do not produce that kind of fruit. Good fruit comes from good trees, and evil fruit comes from corrupt trees. The clear takeaway here is that every person, every person is known by the fruit that their life produces. Every person. Which leads us to this, and this is simple but critical. Fruit never lies. Fruit always tells the truth. It never lies. If you put apple seeds in the ground and you water them consistently and, you've, and you honor that process, you are going to get an apple tree. You're not going to put apple seeds in the ground to get bananas or something else. Fruit never lies. Fruit always tells the truth about what's going on behind the scenes. It never lies. And Jesus places an exclamation point on how serious he takes this issue of fruitfulness. Look at verse 19. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now, this is not a proof text for why someone can lose their salvation. Hogwash. If a tree was not producing fruit, a farmer or fruit grower would eventually cut it down and burn it. As a matter of fact, when you read in other places, one of the things that Jesus says is that men gather these branches that are barren and men cast them into the fire. Not God, men. Not what we're talking about here. But however, this is still very serious. Why is it that the farmer or the fruit grower cuts down the tree and burns it? Why? Because the fruit tree was not doing the one thing the one thing that it was made to do, and that is produce fruit. It's the one thing it was made to do. Let's continue. Matthew 21. Verse 18. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only and said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? The fig tree could have brought pleasure to the Lord which is why it was created. It could have pleased him. It could have given him satisfaction on a certain level. 
And outwardly, it gave the appearance of being able to do so because it had leaves on it. In the spring, figs would form on trees before leaves would appear. So since it had leaves, the assumption was it had fruit. So a fig tree in the spring with leaves and no figs was abnormal. That's not right. Doctrinally speaking, the fig tree represented the hypocrisy of the nation of Israel at the first coming of Christ. They gave the outward appearance of being a godly people. But upon close inspection, they were not. They were frauds. But there is clearly a lesson for us in this because once the fig tree was found to be barren and unfruitful, Jesus cursed it and it withered immediately. Immediately. Which expressed, listen, his strong disappointment, his strong disdain with the barrenness and the unfruitfulness of this tree. He was not pleased. He was not pleased with the barren and unfruitful condition of this tree. And we know that trees are a picture of the souls of men. A picture of men. (laughs) I'm a tree, you're a tree. The question is, what kind of tree are we? Are we fruitful or are we something else? He was not pleased. Now, I have heard and I have been told that I can say some pretty bold things. I, I, I don't really know what that means. I, I, on, on a certain level, I, I, I kind of do. I, I really don't, I don't have in my notes, like, say something bold. I just, I'm not perfect, but I pray and I trust God to fill me with His Spirit, and I want to preach and teach in the power of God's Spirit, and I'm just going to say what God leads me to say, and the chips will fall where they fall. When I preach, I am not trying to make friends or enemies. I'm just trying to be obedient and please the Lord. that's, That's the approach. With that said, what I'm about to say might qualify for something bold and strong. Before I say it, though, based on what we have seen in the Word of God, I really want you to ask yourself, is that Kenny or is that the Lord? Based on what we have seen in the Word of God, which is where this point is clearly extracted from. And I'm going to tell you, what, we're, what I'm about to say to you will not be appreciated in American Christianity today. There are some people who will absolutely be, I can't believe you said that. Would you hear this? In the eyes of the Lord, a barren and unfruitful believer is useless.
in the eyes of the Lord, a barren and unfruitful believer is useless. Why? Because the one thing they were saved for, they are willingly failing at. And that is bearing fruit. Again, in our, in our American way of living and thinking, listen, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not throwing shade on being American. I am proud to be born, to have been born in my humble opinion, the greatest country on planet Earth. I love this country. I am proud to be a citizen of this great nation. I am immensely proud. However, our culture, our American way of thinking uh, continues to, to change in a way that, in some respects, is just downright grievous. And everybody's a victim. Everybody. If, if something doesn't go well in my life, well, who can I blame for it? Surely it's not me. Surely I'm not responsible for my decisions. I, sh I shouldn't be accountable. I, I shouldn't have to reap the, the, the things that I've sowed. Right? It's, just, it's, just, it's just the way it is. And so because of, of that, we're, we're very self-absorbed in our thinking and, and everything's about us, listen, including our salvation. Why was it that God wanted to liberate, deliver Israel out of Egypt? What was that about? Egypt was awful. I mean, God's people were being brutalized and afflicted and and yeah here's here's the promised land and it's flowing with milk and honey and all of that I mean is, is that why ultimately just so that they could have a better life just so they could be more comfortable just so they wouldn't be afflicted anymore was that ultimately why they were brought out of Egypt no let my people go why they may serve me that's what it was about. You couldn't serve me in Egypt. Why did God save you? Why did God deliver me from Egypt so that I could serve him? Amen. My salvation was never about me ultimately. It's always been about him. Again, one of the curses of our day in the church is people just absolutely being self-absorbed with themselves. Let me tell you, whatever it's worth, I think one of the best things you can do, one of the best things I can do, is really make peace with not being a big deal. I'm not a big deal. He's a big deal. <laughs> And my life better, all, better be all about Him. All about pleasing and serving Him. Not what I can get out of this life and, and what I can get out of all of my relationships. Boy, if I could just get all the people in my life to just, to just get on board with making sure that I'm good. What 
miserable way to live. Miserable. You know what I found? I am most satisfied in life when God is being glorified in my life. That's when I'm most satisfied. Is when my life is glorifying God. I'm at my best. I have peace. I have contentment. I have joy. Blessings flow. Are you kidding me? When I am only preoccupied with my life bringing glory, pleasure, and honor to God himself. But Romans chapter 7, verse 4 and 5. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So we became part of the bride of Christ by Christ giving his body in death. We are married to him. But why did he do that? Why did he bring us into the church? Why did he bring us into his family? Why did he make us his bride? That we should bring forth fruit unto God. That's why. That's why. I saved you. I added you to my body so that you could bring forth fruit unto God. That's why. To get saved, to only continue bringing forth fruit unto death is not only useless in the eyes of the Lord, but I would add that it's also insulting. It's insulting. To say, here's what I have to show for the life that you've given me. Here's the fruit that I have to pre- that, that I that I can present to you. You you've saved me. You've made me to sit together in heavenly places. You've indwelt me with your spirit. You've given me your perfect and eternal word. You've blessed me with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And what I have to show for that is a life that ultimately is all about me. Yes, that's insulting to him. That's insulting. Here, let me show you my calendar. My calendar is all about my life. My my calendar is all about, it's, it's designed in a way where I have to see if I can work you in. Let me show you my checkbook. <laughs> That's all about the, the, the dream vacation that we have to take as a family. And, and the dream house that, that we have to have as a family. And, and all the bells and whistles that our children have to have. And it, and it, it actually robs you in the process. That's the fruit I have to show for the life you've given me. And you're going to be okay with that. 
Forget about it. Now, I did not say that the Lord does not love barren and unfruitful believers. He most certainly does. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. But brothers and sisters, I am saying this. It is a piercing thought. It is a piercing thought that lifespans have been shortened for some believers because they were barren and unfruitful. No doubt about that. Lifespans have been cut short because believers were barren and unfruitful. Being spiritually barren and unfruitful, brothers and sisters, is extremely dangerous. If you are barren and unfruitful before the Lord, on the authority of the word of God, I am telling you, you are in grave danger. I'll justify that here in just a moment if I haven't. Now, when adding these seven things to our faith, here are some of the fruit that will most certainly be found. Number one, souls. In Romans 1.13, Paul expressed his desire to come to Rome, but was delayed that he might have some fruit among them also, even as among other Gentiles. Here's another one. Spirit-filled living or Spirit-filling, Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit consists of nine Christ-like traits that will be evident in the life of a believer who is walking in the Spirit of God. Sanctification. Paul also talked about the fruit of righteousness and truth. And then serving, Colossians 1.10, he prayed that the church at Colossae would be fruitful, in every good work. A sacrifice. Hebrews 13, 15 talks about the sacrifice of praise to God continually, which is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. That will be the testimony. This will be the visual of someone who is adding to their faith. Someone who these things are abounding in them, that's what it's going to look like in their life. And you know what that produces? That produces glory to God. God says, I'm pleased with that. (laughs) Yes. Souls, spirit filling, sanctification, serving, sacrifice. God says, I'm glorified. Now, in the time we have left, Let's talk about the fruit of subtracting. And verse 9, back to 2 Peter chapter 1. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Now, would you notice the person who lacks these things, the person who is subtracting from their faith is a believer. 
They are a believer. Peter said, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Again, that's why I say, not talking about anyone losing their salvation. If you're subtracting, you're not adding these things, you're, you know, you're, you're a believer. <laughs> if you've been born again, you've been born again. That's irreversible. But Peter made three strong observations about the believer who is not adding to their faith, to the believer who is subtracting. And in these statements, he, he gives us, we see the fruit of that, and I'm telling you, it's very unpleasant. These observations reveal the clear fruit of subtracting. So the believer who is subtracting from their faith is, number one, they're spiritually blind. They're spiritually blind. Verse 9 says, but he that lacketh these things is blind. The believer who is subtracting from their faith, it's not that they don't have sight. They have physical eyesight. They've been blessed with that. It's that spiritually, they're as blind as a spiritual bat. Responding to his disciples who had informed him that the Pharisees were offended at one of his sayings, notice what Jesus says in Matthew 15, 14. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Listen, the Pharisees, uh, they were not atheists. They weren't agnostic. They, they, uh, they were not irreligious. No, they were very religious. Uh, they were very devout to the law of Moses and the several hundred traditions that they added to that. They were a very religious group of people. But the issue was, they were spiritually blind. So I'm saying you can be religious all you want. You can be very active in religious or church things and still be blind. But would you notice where blindness leads to? Into the ditch. Destruction. Destruction. Spiritual blindness is like someone who is blindfolded walking next to the edge of a 500-foot cliff. They're in trouble. Very deep trouble. Verse 9 goes on to say, and cannot see afar off. The believer who is subtracting from their faith, listen, is also earthly sighted. Not far-sighted or near-sighted necessarily, but earthly-sighted. This is the byproduct of being spiritually blind. When you have physical eyesight, but you don't have spiritual eyesight, well, here's where this is going. You're going to have earthly sight. Colossians 3.1, Paul says, If ye then be risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. That's not being earthly sighted. The believer who is earthly sighted, listen, 
can only see the things that pertain to this earth. They can't see beyond that. They're carnally minded. They are not adding knowledge to their faith. Very interestingly, these are people who know a lot about a lot of earthly things. They can blow you away with their facts. I mean, they can tell you about this and and, and that and how this works and how that all comes together. And it's, wow, that's cool. But they can't tell you anything about the Word of God. They can't tell you anything about the promises of God. They can't tell you anything about these last days that we're in. As a matter of fact, they don't even know that we're in the last days. And if they were to be completely honest, when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to the church, when it comes to the things of God in general, they just can't seem to understand why some people are just so excited about all that. Why is it that some people make it their business to faithfully attend church? Why why would anybody do that? Why would someone make a point to say, hey, wait a minute, there's a discipleship conference. Yeah, I can't go to Georgia, but I can get online and follow it. Ah, Netflix. What's the big deal? All church retreat? Why would we spend that kind of money to go do that when we can go Tuesday night prayer? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Why would anybody fight the traffic and struggle to park somewhere? LFBI? (sighs) Man, look, I did D1, I did D2, I'm good. Earthly sighted. To them, those things are not evil. They just don't carry the same value in their heart that the things of this world do. They love the things of this world. It's all they can see. Finally, in verse 9, and had forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. The believer who is subtracting from their faith is also mentally distracted. They're mentally distracted. The spiritual blindness and the fixation on the things of this world causes the believer to forget (laughs) that they've been purged from their old sins. And essentially, here's what that means. Please, I'm almost done. To forget that you have been purged from your old sins is to do something that is equal to spitting in the face of God. And you know what that is? 
When you forget that you've been purged from your old sins, what you are doing is cheapening what Jesus did on the cross for you. And that does not go over well with God. That is dangerous beyond words that I can use to help you understand how dangerous that is. But we get a glimpse in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 29 and 30. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. To eat and drink of the Lord's Supper unworthily is to approach the Lord's table irreverently, which cheapens what He did on the cross. And that was evident by their inability to discern the Lord's body. For some, the reason they couldn't discern the Lord's body is because as you follow this text, some of them were drunk. Yes. And some of them, it was, they approached like a pagan feast, not discerning the Lord's body, which invited damnation. Not eternal damnation, but judgment. We know that because in verse 30, Paul tells us what he meant by damnation. Many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. God judged them. Those who had made light of the cross, those who had, who had cheapened the cross, God says, I'm going to judge some of them with sickness, and I'm going to judge some of them with death. Be careful. So when you forget that you've been purged from your sins, you forget why God saved you, which ultimately leads to being barren and unfruitful, which places you in grave danger before God. Brandon was right. We cannot go another year of being barren. This thing about living the Great Commission, preaching the gospel, discipling believers, living world missions, if that's something that you are trying to fit into your life, this message has your name on it. You're in trouble. Deep trouble. When it comes to glory, God does not play. When it comes to his glory, he does not play. Herein are ye my disciples, if you what? Bear what? Notice the progression in John 15. He starts out with fruit. Then he goes to more fruit. And then it goes next level to much fruit, John 15, 8. That's how God is glorified. We close with Hosea 10, 1. Israel is an empty vine. He bringeth forth fruit unto himself. According to the multitude of his fruit, he hath increased the altars. 
according to the goodness of his land, they have made goodly images. God had delivered Israel out of Egyptian bondage. God had brought them into the land so that they could bring forth fruit unto him. Instead, they were an empty vine. They were barren. Bringing forth fruit unto themselves, which resulted in idolatry. God says, remember, see, God always keeps his word, doesn't he? Remember that promise, oh, Israel? Okay, I, I, I kept my word. I, I brought you into the land. I, I gave you to the land. And, and what's your response? My response is, God, I, I, I'm going to make it all about me, and I'm actually going to give myself to that which you hate. And that's, you said, we'll have no other gods before you. I'm going to do, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and you're going to be okay with it. Brothers and sisters, Hosea was prophesying, pleading, begging the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom, to repent. They refused to. And in 722 B.C., God let the brutal, merciless, inhumane Assyrians have their way with his people. And I'm telling you, it was awful. Mothers with babies being ripped out of their bellies alive. The Assyrians were merciless. But God says, if you're going to be barren, you're going to be unfruitful, you're going to spit in my face and have it your way. You will reap. Barrenness and unfruitfulness lead to idolatry. That's where this is going. That's where this is going. I wonder if some of you have allowed your lives to become so cluttered that the only person you can seem to be able to say no to is God. And when God beholds the fruit that you are producing, it is obvious to him that it is fruit unto you, not him. What is it? What's the confession this morning to say, Lord, for your glory, <laughs> to ensure that I don't go another year being barren? I'm sorry. And help me to prioritize what is important. Husbands, that starts with you. You set the tone. As for me and my house, this is how it's going down. There is no discussion about what we're doing on Sunday. There is no discussion about what's important. Father, Help us for your glory to add to our faith, not subtract. In Jesus' name, amen.